And so this morning we're continuing our uh, series on Summer of Psalms, and we're going to look at Psalm 62. You know, and as I was preparing this message, there was this different type of um, spiritual weight that was on me. And, you know, and I went to my wife, Shang, and I was telling her, like, man, there's just this different weight that is on me. And she was like, I feel it too. You know, we were restless. You know, we, there are nights where we didn't sleep. There are nights we woke up really early. And I believe it's because of this passage that we're going to look at. Yeah, as a pastor, you know, we, uh, from my experience, you know, there's this, certain, there's this weight that we carry. And sometimes, in this sense, you know, there are specific topics or situations that will have a heavier weight. And I also believe that when, you know, when you partner with God and what he's doing in this world and what he's doing in our lives, when you partner with him, expect the enemy to attack you spiritually, emotionally, and physically. What do I mean by physically? I think sometimes we kind of get tripped up by it physically, right? If we're talking about spiritual things. You know, have you ever noticed that when, you know, sometimes uh, you, you get into an argument with your spouse or your kids, like right before you go to church? Like, does that happen to anyone? Right. Or your car breaks down, right? Perhaps maybe your tire, your tire blew. I, I don't know, right? Or maybe you, you get a call from your job, and they're like, hey, man, we need you to come in today. Like, Sunday. Like, I know, today. And so I believe, I firmly believe that there's something about this passage that the enemy doesn't want us to hear. My wife and I, we were spiritually attacked. So there's something here that he doesn't want us to hear. You know, one summer, my family and I visited our relatives in the Midwest when I was a young teen. And this was my first time out of California. And when we arrived at her place, I noticed they had a basement, right? And I asked her, like, I asked my aunt, I was like, why do you guys have a basement? You know, I don't know, in California, we don't have basements in California, right? And so she replied, well, we get tornadoes from time to time. And when it happens, we go down to our basement and we wait, right? Surely enough, you know, later that week, a tornado comes and hits their location. And so all of us, we hunker down in their basement with anticipation. And as we wait, you know, you can hear the winds howling, trees whipped, branches are broken, hitting the house and Windows were broken, right? Shingles from the roof were coming off. And we sat there listening, you know, to the radio that they had, you know, just for the updates of, like, what's, what's next? Did the tornado pass? What's going on? I'm always amazed by its power when watching it on TV, right? Whether it's a tornado or a hurricane, but the power that it has, it's impressive, it says, we hunkered in this basement 
right? The craziest thing I've experienced was the calm that fell on us as the eye of the storm moved over us. Even though it was a short time, the winds ceased. And it was quiet until the other side of the eye reached us and, you know, the wind continued until it passed. As I got older and I looked back at this experience, the calm in the eye of the storm reminded me of the tornadoes in life that comes our way. It's a helpful image in the center of chaos. There is a moment of quietness and calm, even though everything around us is out of control. And in our passage, David finds rest. He finds rest in God alone because God is his rock, his refuge, and his salvation. So the question for us this morning is, what or who do you find your security in? What or who do you find your security in? We can draw three things from this passage, and point number one is this. Confidence in God. Look at what David says in verses 1 and 2. He says this, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, and I will never be shaken. The word truly can be translated as only or alone. Right? It's used four times in this entire passage, and David points out that it's in God alone where he finds his rest. And that word rest can also be translated as be still. Right? We just sang that song to be still in his quietness, right? My mind, my body are all over the place when I try to solve a problem or something that happens in my life. Right? I'm trying to fix an issue, and there are things that I can't control. Being still is very challenging. Would you agree? Being still, yeah. And so knowing that he is inadequate to change anything, David is quiet before God. He's not alarmed. He's not panicking. He you know, his attitude doesn't change. Look at how David describes who God is. He is, again, my rock, my salvation, my fortress. David has complete confidence in God. Now, this word salvation, I don't want you to get confused, but in this passage here, it's talking about safety. Right? It's not referring to salvation or it's not referring to eternal life. So where did this confidence come from? Remember David when he was a young shepherd boy? You know, 1 Samuel 17 tells us that David, as a young shepherd boy, he killed a lion and a bear that was trying to devour his flock. And then when Saul asked him, hey, man, we need someone to, you know, to, to go down to, to, to defeat Goliath. Right? We need someone to fight him. And David was like, hey, I will. Right? Young shepherd boy, he goes in and he kills Goliath. And then 
because of that, right, his pop, you know, his popularity like rose like instant, instantly. And what happens? Saul was jealous. He was envy. He was filled with envy. And what did he do? He went after David. He tried to kill David, but God protected David. God delivered David from all of these trials. No wonder he has confidence in God. God is his security, his safety, and his deliverer. And because of who God is, David is not shaken. And his soul finds rest in him. Maybe we haven't faced a bear or a lion, let alone killed anything with a slingshot. Or haven't been chased by someone who wants to kill us. But we've all gone through some type of hardship. Whether a person, a job, finance, marriage, family, loneliness, depression, like we've gone through some hardship. You know, when Shane and I um, married in January 2009, we moved to Kauai right after our wedding date. You know, I tell people like it was a long honeymoon because like right after it was just a long honeymoon. But Shane was already working and here I was, I, I had just uprooted my life from San Diego and moved to this tiny island. And Shane and I, we got connected with a, a local church there, and this was the first time, okay, this was the first time that we stepped out of our ethnic church, and that was a big deal. That was a big deal for us. And so in addition to all of this, I had no job. I was looking for a job for the first three months. And let me tell you, it is very difficult to find a job in Kauai because, okay, here, because they prefer to give their, the jobs to the locals first. All right, so if you're from the mainland, they're like, hey, man, we, you know, we want to help support our locals here first. And so... Just moving, right? Being uprooted, married, newly married, moved, no friends, no family, new church family, no job, and now we're dipping into our savings. Did I tell you that this was 2009 when the economy was low? Like 2009, right? Everything was like crashing. I was nervous. I was shaken. For sure, my soul didn't find rest in God that year. But I kept coming to God. I kept coming. I was praying to God, like, God, you led us here. Like, man, you've you've got to provide a way out for us, right? You've got to provide for us. Shortly after three months, I get a call from Kauai Medical Clinic, and they're like, hey, man, we we want you. We got a position for you. And so that year, I learned that God is my security and my safety and my deliverer. I started a new journey of what it means to rest in 
him. I'm 38. I'm on my 13th year of marriage. I have two kids, and I'm still on that journey of learning to rest in him alone. You see, David firmly believes that God is everything to him. And nothing in this world can shake him, not even people. Look at verse 3 and 4. He says this, How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. We take delight, they take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. David's enemies are not random people, okay? They're not random people. These are the people that have access to David here, right? These are people that eats with him, that travels with him, that have meetings with him, that attends his kids' birthday parties and their weddings and family functions. And in David's weakness, physical weakness, okay, this leaning wall, this tottering fence, his enemy sees an opportunity to take him down. In verse 4, take delight in lies, or they take delight in lies. Look at what they're doing. Look at what they're doing. They're scheming a plan. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. In other words, what they're saying to David is that, man, when they are with David, they say, man, you're a great leader. Man, you're just full of wisdom. Man, we just love you. You are our great leader, right? But when they're not with him, they're like, man, I don't know about David, man. I don't know if he can do this. They're talking down on David among themselves and with other people. Why? Why are they doing this to David? Simple. They see an opportunity to be in a higher position. But David's not shaken by that. Look what David says in the following verses, verse 5 and 6. He says this, Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly he is my rock, my salvation, my fortress, and I will not be shaken. God is his rock, his salvation, and his fortress. Point number two, life in God alone. Look at verse seven here. This is the heart of the passage. And if you can walk away with one thing from this message, it's this right here. Highlight that, underline it. It will be this. David says, my salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. You see, our dignity and self-worth, our security in life, and our deliverance come from God alone. God is the source of David's life. And too often we think that, Man, we could, we'll, we'll trust God to provide for our needs until adversity comes, right? When adversity comes, what happens? Anxiety kicks in, right? And it reveals where we place our trust. 
Maybe that's the job. Perhaps it's the opinion of others. Perhaps it's our wealth. The beauty of adversity is that it also reveals the hidden idols within us. That's the beauty of adversity. And we have an opportunity to release that to God when he reveals it. You see, God is the mighty rock that provides refuge in the face of adversity. Point number three is this. Trust in God, not in wealth or power. Trust in God, not in wealth or power. In the first section of this passage, David was reflecting on himself. Now he is talking about you and me. He's addressing the people. Look at verse 8. He says this. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. We see two imperatives or commands in this passage. That's trust and pour. David commands us to trust God at all times, right? Not when things are good, but all times. And he tells us to pour our hearts to him. You know, there was a season in life uh, when I went through some hardship. I was processing a lot, and I couldn't get to share that with someone. I was stuck. I was angry. I was hurt. I was frustrated, and so on. I was afraid to come to God because I knew he would want me to trust him. And so I saw a therapist. And as I sat in this room, I just poured out my heart to this guy. Just poured it out. I was just telling him everything of what I was going through. Having that space was a relief for me because I could be myself. I was able to process and, and work through my struggles. But can I be honest with you? You see, therapy helps. It's a step towards healing, but it doesn't heal you from the spiritual side of things. It's a step towards that, but it doesn't heal you. Why? The therapist will help you to, to acknowledge what, what you're going through, to acknowledge that hurt, that pain. But, it's not, but they're not going to tell you to release them. See, only, only, when we, like, only when God works in you and we allow him to work in us and we release that, that's a spiritual battle that we're going through, that we internally have to release that to God. Right? It's this spiritual battle of trusting God in every part of our lives. Someone once said that if you don't reveal it, God can't heal it. So God is our wonderful counselor. He's our wonderful counselor. 
He hears you and he sees you. So we are to trust in God at all times. But David knows that we will be tempted. We will be tempted to put our trust elsewhere. Look at verse 9 and 10. He says this, Surely the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. David reminds us that whatever social status and position we have, all are only a breath. And this word breath is translated as vapor. We're vapor. People are just vapor. And so we don't put our trust in people. One commentator states, human status uh, is a worthless source of human trust. Yeah, I agree, because we're vapor. There are many influencers today that are intelligent, charismatic, beautiful, great great communicators, wealthy and powerful. And David reminds us that all of these people that we follow, that we see, that we take our time to listen to, are just a breath. They're just a breath. David then moves from people to wealth and power, telling us not to put our trust on them or to set our hearts on those things, right? Not even the extortion or stolen goods and all of that stuff, even though those things are going to give you riches. Another way to put this is that don't use your position of power over others for your gain. Our trust is not in wealth or power, but in God alone, even when times are good or not. That's why David commands us that when times are tough, we put our trust in him by pouring our hearts to him. You see, we could be honest with our thoughts and feelings and go before God because he listens to us. He hears us. Not only that, he is our refuge, our place of safety, our protection, and our security. See, we trust in God not in wealth or power. Why? Look at what David says in verse 11 and 12. One thing God has spoken, and two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. And you reward everyone according to what they have done. Two critical things about God is that he is all-powerful and loving. All-powerful and loving. You see, we don't, that's the reason why we don't depend on ourselves or on other people. We don't depend on our power over other people, but we depend on God's power. 
His power is never abusive. Church, some evil people will abuse their power and authority over others. Right? I'm going to say that again. Some evil people will abuse their power over people. Church leaders and pastors are not exempt from this. I'm not exempt from this. And many pastors and leaders today are no longer leading churches because of this. So that's why David reminds us to put our trust in him. Not in people, but him. Time and time again, we see in the Bible that God uses his power for love. In the book of Jonah, right, God used the fish to swallow Jonah, and the fish takes him to Nineveh so that he can proclaim God's love to the people. The book of Exodus tells us that God used Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, and he departed the Red Sea so that his people can get to safety. What about non-biblical stories or non-biblical facts? Take the earth, for example, right? It's the perfect distance from the sun that if it's too far or too close, like it would be too hot, too cold, and we won't survive. It's the perfect distance from the sun. And you have to wonder, there's a creator. There's a designer. See, God loves us so much. He loves us so much that he sent and he sacrificed his son Jesus for us, for you, for me. And I think sometimes we kind of just rush through that. Sometimes we just kind of think like, yeah, I know Jesus loves me. I know he does. But I want to challenge you. Sit in on that. Sit in on that. Why did Jesus do that? And if you're a parent, you could probably relate to me as well as I have two kids. Bet it's hard to sacrifice a kid or a child for someone. Like, that's hard. And so when we sit and we process that, man, like, that's how much God loves us. And so when we are caught up in this life of chaos, man, know that we can be quiet before God and sit in his presence. And we can trust that his power is at work to accomplish his loving purposes for us. You see, God is our rock. He is our salvation. He is our refuge. God is our rock, our salvation, our refuge. Throughout this passage, as I conclude, David doesn't ask God for anything. He doesn't. He sits and rests before God. Read it again today. Go through it again. Notice that he doesn't ask God for anything. But he comes to God and he sits in him and he just rests in him. Even when all the things around him, even when people are trying to take him down or take the opportunity to do so, right? 
He sits and he waits. Like that, the eye of the, of the storm. There's that calmness within the eye of the storm. So, what or who do you place your trust in?